for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke and beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. Ephesians chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me let you know about a couple of things that are going on at Coastal. First of all, next Sunday is our family worship service. I'm really pumped up for next Sunday for several reasons, but we've got baptism over the three services next week. We have six people getting baptized, so I'm super excited about that. Make sure you're here. We've got three families who are standing up and dedicating themselves and their children to the Lord. Uh, and so we're also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a great morning. Make sure you're here. We have childcare available from birth to three years next week for Family Sunday. We have our turkey drive that is ongoing now until next week. So bring a turkey. We've got a cooler right around the corner here. This is a great way that we can bless some families in our community. So please donate a turkey. Uh, we have the angel tree. And now listen, we didn't get the tree up in time. So right now it's just angels. Okay, so uh, you can grab a tag. They're on the desk over there. This is an opportunity for us to give some gifts uh, to those in our community. So it's going to be a great blessing. You can do that from now till December 11th. And next week we will have the tree. Uh, and then finally, our security team. We are having a training next Monday and Tuesday night. Right, Mark? Is that right? Monday and Tuesday night next week. So if you are interested in serving in our security team, that will be Monday the 21st, Tuesday the 22nd. You can write that on your Connect card if you're interested and we will get with you. All right, Ephesians chapter five, Thanksgiving sermon series. Last week, we looked at what it looks like to be thankful from the story of the leper who came back to give thanks to Christ. And this morning, I wanna talk to you from Ephesians chapter five about the ultimate expression of gratitude in the church. And that is singing. And let me tell you guys, I love to preach. So I'm pumped up to preach every week, but there's some weeks, right? There's some weeks where I'm a little bit extra pumped up because this is a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about. I believe that a healthy church is a singing church. And if you want to gauge where a church is at spiritually, one of the best ways to do that is to watch them sing, to look at the songs that they're singing and to listen to them sing. And that's why I'm so excited about this message this morning. A lot of you guys that know me know that music is a huge passion of mine. Let me just start by sharing a little bit of my story. I started playing guitar around 11 or 12 years old. My parents got me a Squire Strat from Winter Sound down the street. I started learning Reliant K songs. Many of you guys know who they are. Uh, I started playing in youth group worship bands as a teenager. Eventually started my own rock band with the, with the hope of being a rock star. You guys can see how well that turned out. Um, <laughs> 
But so when I gave my life to Christ at 20 years old, I immediately joined the worship team at Coastal back in 2014. Pastor Joey was the worship leader at the time, took me under his wing and mentored me. And I've been involved with worship at some capacity at Coastal ever since. And it's been one of the great joys of my life. From June of 2018 until January of this last year, I was the worship leader here at the Gloucester campus until the Lord called me to step into this role as lead pastor. So needless to say, This is a topic I am super passionate about, and I think it's so important for us as a church to have a biblical understanding of what worship through singing is as a means of expressing our gratitude to God. Did you know that singing is the second most commanded spiritual discipline in scripture only behind prayer? It goes prayer and then singing. The Psalms alone have over 100 commands for the people of God to sing. So no wonder that we devote nearly half of our service every Sunday morning to singing praises to God together. So this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like for us as a church to honor God through our singing. And one interesting thing that we see in scripture is that we were both created to sing and we were redeemed to sing. So first of all, we were created to sing. As human beings, we were created in the image of a singing God. Did you know that? Do you know that God sings? Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now, when you get your mental picture of how God sees you and how God reacts when he sees his people, when he sees his children, I don't think singing probably makes the list. But that's what it says he does. Just like a parent picks up their newborn child and their heart so swells with love that they begin to sing. That's how God views his children. It's no wonder then that in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the first book, The Magician's Nephew, do you guys know how Aslan creates Narnia? (coughs) By singing. He sings it into existence. Guys, we were created to sing, but we were also saved to sing. God's redeemed people have always responded to that redemption with song. From Exodus chapter 15, what's the first thing they do when they get through the Red Sea? They start singing. When we get to heaven in Revelation chapter five and every tribe, tongue, and nation is around the throne of God, what are we gonna be doing? Singing praise, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We were created to sing, we were made to sing. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're hearing this like, that's easy for you, Nate. That's easy for you musical people who like to sing, but that ain't me. I don't like to sing. I'm not good at it. And so I don't do it. I know that's what some of you guys are thinking. And okay, here's what I'd like to say in response. God's calling is not dependent on our ability. God's calling is not dependent on our ability. We don't get a pass on the things that God has called us to do because he's not gifted us in one way or another. I don't get to say, I'm not good at prayer, so I ain't gonna do it. I'm not good at evangelism, so I ain't gonna do it. I'm not good at repenting of my sins, so I ain't gonna do it. God's calling is not dependent on our ability. And as we will see this morning, we are called to sing. And we don't sing to display our talent or even to quote unquote, get something out of it. We sing to worship God and to edify the gathered church. That's why we sing. So this morning, I want to talk to us about the ultimate expression of gratitude, which is singing. And to do this, I want us to consider Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 together. Let me give you the main point of the sermon. 
The overflow of being filled with the Spirit is biblical, passionate, and grateful singing to God and to one another. Let us read this text together. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is true, O oh Lord, that it is life-giving. We thank you for the precious gift of music that we've already got to enjoy this morning. I thank you that we've already had an opportunity to sing the gospel together, to declare truths about you to you. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of this sermon this morning, you would teach us how we can more honor you through our worship as a church family. I pray that you would draw our hearts closer to you this morning through your word, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to answer four questions for you this morning. The first question is why? Why do we sing? Why bother? Why do we come in and spend half of our time on Sunday morning singing songs? I mean, why not just have a 70-minute sermon? Or why not do other things? Why do we sing? Well, there are a lot of reasons we could give, but let me just give you the one reason that Paul gives in verse 18 of this text. And that is that we are filled with the spirit. Singing is the first overflow that he gives us, the first result of being filled with the spirit in Ephesians 5. So let's do some work in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So when he calls us to sing in verse 19, we need to understand that that's an overflow of verse 18. Because we are filled with the Spirit, we will sing. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Let me try to clear up some misconceptions here. First of all, what does it not mean? Being filled with the Spirit, it's not about having some sort of mystical, emotional high or some kind of ecstatic experience. It's not necessarily experiential, though it can lead to that. It's also not the same thing as the indwelling of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He comes to live inside of you. And yet this is a command for Christians in Ephesians 5.18. So yes, the Holy Spirit already indwells us. So this must be something different, being filled with the Spirit. But also, it's not about capacity. When we hear that word filled, sometimes we can make an assumption that it's about capacity. Like I can have more of the Holy Spirit than you. And you can have more of the Holy Spirit than me. But the Holy Spirit's a person. We don't get more or less of the Holy Spirit in terms of capacity. This is about relationship. This is about influence. I've heard one pastor put it this way. It's not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. This is about us submitting our lives, our thinking, our behavior to the influence of the Holy Spirit. So how would I define this? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is for a Christian to continually, day by day, live their life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit will lead us and direct us and guide us to glorify God. And he does that through the word as the word of God is applied to our hearts and our minds. He leads and guides us. And when Paul wants to teach the Ephesian Christians what it means to be filled with the spirit, he comes up with a really interesting contrast that's actually quite hilarious. I mean, think about it. He wants to teach about what it means to be filled with the spirit. And so he's like, oh, I know, getting drunk. That's a good contrast we can make. 
don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. He is giving us a contrast to help us understand what it means to be filled with the spirit. Now, this isn't a sermon on alcohol, but since it's in the text, let me just make a quick sidebar note here. I don't think that the Bible teaches that it is always sinful to drink alcohol, period. But this text does give us a very clear boundary that drunkenness is something that is clearly sinful, something that is clearly contrary to God's will. And this is something that as Christians, we must exercise extreme caution in because we've all seen many lives that have been families that have been torn apart through the abuse of alcohol. So this is something that we should exercise extreme caution in. However, the point of Paul bringing it up in this text is the contrast with being filled with the spirit. And it actually makes sense when you think about it. What does it mean to be drunk? It means to overconsume alcohol to the point of being under the influence of alcohol, being, having your thinking and your mind dominated by alcohol. To be filled with the spirit is to live our lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit as we'll see from Colossians 3.16, as we're filled with God's word. As we consume, so to speak, God's word, we are filled with the spirit. And what are the results? Well, to be drunk leads to a loss of self-control, a loss of judgment, and to utter foolishness. But to be filled with the spirit actually leads to greater self-control. Because remember what the last fruit of the spirit is in Galatians 5, right? Self-control. And what are the other results morally? Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery. In other words, that is moral, sinful foolishness. But rather to be filled with the spirit leads to holiness, leads to righteousness, leads to worship. So what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? Again, it means day by day as followers of Christ, we seek to live our lives under the guiding, controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe an illustration will help. Don't think of the filling of the spirit like you would fill a cup with water, like capacity. Like I have this water, I'm filling the cup more or less depending on the filling. Think of it more like the filling of a sail on a sailboat with the wind. So as you're on the water and you open the sail so that it can be filled with wind and be propelled forward, this is about influence. It's about relationship. It's when we submit our thinking and desires and behaviors to the spirit of God and seek to live in accordance with the word of God. What does any of that have to do with singing? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because the first words out of Paul's mouth is, be filled with the spirit, comma, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It is the overflow of that. Spirit-filled Christians are singing Christians. And so if that is why we sing, we sing because we are filled with the spirit. Next, Paul shows us what we should sing. What do we sing? Let's look at verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms here, of course, refers to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. And by the way, if I haven't convinced you yet that God cares about singing, consider the fact that the biggest book of the Bible is a hymnal, right? So Psalms, and then he says hymns in this context, I think it probably refers to hymns were compositions by the church about Christ. You know, a lot of scholars actually think some of the great passages about Jesus in the New Testament were originally hymns that were then incorporated into the New Testament. So for example, Philippians 2, that great passage about Christ emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, God has highly exalted him. That was probably a hymn. 
The same with Colossians 1, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. These were probably hymns that were incorporated into the New Testament. And then spiritual songs. These probably just refer to songs that we just talked about were composed under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's trying to give us necessarily some kind of strict classification system as much as he's saying, sing a variety of songs, sing all kinds of songs. But what do we sing about in those songs? We sing the story of redemption. We sing about who God is and what God has done. We sing songs that lift up God as our creator. Psalm 104 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the winds. He makes his messengers his winds, his ministers a flaming fire. That's our God, the great I am, the all-powerful creator. Yet we also sing songs about Christ as our savior. As I've already mentioned, we will be singing worthy is the lamb who was slain even into eternity. And here's the incredible thing. When Jesus returns and he makes everything right again, the new heaven and a new earth, we're not going to be alone in our singing, but the whole universe is going to join in. Psalm 96 puts it this way. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. What this shows us, church, is that the story of redemption, it's not just meant to be understood It's not just meant to be believed. It's not just meant to be analyzed. It's meant to be sung. It's meant to be celebrated. So if that is why we sing, and if that is what we sing, next question, who? Who do we sing to? And now you might hear that and go, well, duh, Nate, this will be a short point because that's easy. Like we're Christians, we sing to God. Next point, please. Like this is really easy. But hold on a minute. Let's look at the verse more carefully, okay? Verse 19, addressing who? One another. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to who? To the Lord with your heart. In other words, we sing both to one another and to God. Singing in corporate worship has both a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. What do I mean by that? Well, we sing to God. We worship God. We don't get confused here. We don't worship one another when we sing to one another. We worship God. We sing to God. But our singing also has this dimension where we are singing to edify one another, to encourage one another, to instruct one another. So we sing to God to worship him, but our singing is also intended to edify and encourage the church. And we see this horizontal vertical dimension in the songs that we sing. I mean, think about it. We sing many songs directly to God. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. Yes, we sing to God. But we often miss that many of our songs that we sing are actually addressed to one another. How great is our God. What's the next line? Sing with me. How great is our God. Are you singing that to God? Hey, God, sing with me. 
How great is our God? No, we're singing that to one another. I remember years ago, some of you guys might remember this. I was the worship leader here and we sang How Great Is Our God one Sunday and I had us go back into the last chorus and I did something that was totally awkward. I told everyone, all right, open your eyes, put your hands down and look at each other. Like, let's obey the teaching of Ephesians 5.19 literally right now. Let's address one another with this song. Was it awkward? Yep. But I think it proved the point that we are singing this to one another, to encourage, to edify one another. And I think that we intuitively understand this vertical dimension of worship that we're singing to God. It's the to one another part that's weird for us. It's the two on another part that we need to have a better understanding of. Because here's the deal. Many times in worship, what we end up having is a collection of individuals having their own private experience with God. And while there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, the purpose of corporate worship is for us to sing together with one voice, lifting up praises to God together. Because there's something different between me singing in my car and me singing in corporate worship. We sing as a part of a body. So let me give you this application this morning. When you come to corporate worship, sing worship to God, yes, but sing for the edification of the church. And you might think, Nate, there ain't nothing edifying about my voice. Just trust me. Even if you're the kind of person who would say, I don't like music and I'm not a good singer, right here and now, as the lead pastor of this campus, I am giving you permission to sing as loud as you can, all right? And if anyone has an issue with it, send them to my office, okay? (laughs) You bad singers out there, okay? Sing loud, I wanna hear it. Here's why. This room being filled with God's praises to overflowing will so strengthen and encourage all of our faith. That will so work in all of our hearts. There is something so powerful about hearing other people sing, about hearing other people's voices. Let's sing with an awareness that we're singing as a part of a church body. Some of y'all might see me up here on Sunday mornings. I often look around during worship. Sometimes I make eye contact with someone and it's weird, (laughs) right? But I often look around during worship. Why do I do that? Well, first of all, because I'm used to being up here and getting to see all of you guys. But second, I want to make sure you're singing because that is so important to our discipleship. That is so important to our growth as Christians, that we are a singing church, that we're singing to one another, that when we sing that God's, that Jesus's blood has washed away our sins and that the Father's wrath is satisfied, for example, we're not just singing that to God, but we're saying to one another, hey, listen, in Christ, our sin is washed away. Isn't that awesome? There is that dimension to it where we are edifying one another. And you know, there's something also beautiful about this in a local church where we know each other where we love each other, when you're seeing someone sing and you know what they're going through. There's something so incredible about seeing someone who's walking through a chronic illness or walking through a financial difficulty sing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. What about someone who's just lost a loved one singing out of the silence, the roaring lion declares the grave has no claim on me. What about the marriage that's struggling And this couple is singing, you bring restoration. Man, when we know and love each other in the local church, how powerful is that to my faith to see you express your faith in worship? So here's the deal. Even if you're not good at it, sing for the edification of the church. 
God will use that. So that's why we sing, and that's what we sing, and that's to whom we sing. We need to ask a really important question. How do we sing? And now I'm not talking about the physiological process and your vocal cords vibrating, because I really, I don't know. Uh, Someone a lot smarter than me can give you more info on that if you want to know more about that. I'm talking about the manner in which we sing as believers. I'm talking about what goes on in our hearts as we sing. The first is with understanding. We sing with understanding. We don't turn our minds off in worship, quite the opposite. We want our minds to be very much engaged during our time of worship. The first way that we sing with understanding is with worship that is grounded in scripture. At a fundamental level, what is worship? Worship is a response to God's revelation of himself in his word. It is a response to what God has revealed about himself in his word. Therefore, we strive at Coastal. We are very careful to sing songs that are grounded in the truth of God's word. This is the foundation of biblical worship. And this is where we've got to be clear. Worship, if it is, even if it is passionate and sincere, if it's not biblical, it doesn't honor God. If it's not grounded in the truth, it does not honor God. Think about Colossians 3.16, and I hope you notice the parallels here. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I hope you notice that this is literally a parallel to the text we're studying in Ephesians 5.19. But in Ephesians, though, it's be filled with the spirit addressing one another. In Colossians, it's let the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What that teaches us is that you can't separate the two. The spirit works through the word. The Holy Spirit uses the word that he inspired to make us more like Christ. That's the foundation for biblical worship. And we must avoid the trap of thinking that as long as we are insincere, it doesn't matter if we're right. Let me illustrate it this way. I am going to describe the details of a worship service in the Bible. Let's see if you can guess which one it is. All right, thought experiment. This is a worship service that took place in the Bible. Uh, The people gave an extravagant and a costly offering. They gave sacrificially. They claimed that they were worshiping Yahweh. They were worshiping the true God. The worship service was long too. It wasn't like 65 to 70 minutes like we got here. It was long. They sang and they sang passionately. They worshiped in a way that made sense to them in their culture that would have been relevant in their culture. And they were very, very emotional. Any guesses? I've just described the worship of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, where the people worshiped God sacrificially and passionately and emotionally. And God killed a lot of them for it. God judged them for it. Why? Because he told them, you don't make any images of me. You don't use images of me in worship. And what did they do? They made an image. No amount of passion or emotion can make up for disobedience to God's word. The point is that we strive to order our worship according to what God has revealed in scripture, in his word. So we sing with an understanding of the word, but next we sing with an understanding of the gospel. We sing with an understanding of the gospel because it is only through what Jesus Christ has done that we are able to worship at all. Guys, sinners like you and I have no right to worship God on our own. We have no right to come into God's presence on our own. Scripture says that God is a consuming fire. 
and that you and I are sinners. So the only way we can approach God in worship is through Christ. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 teaches so beautifully. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and how can sinners like you and me enter the holy places? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house, God, house of God, what should we do about it, church? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, how can sinners like you and I worship a holy God? Through Christ through his blood that was shed to forgive our sins, we now are invited to draw near. The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was just for the high priest one day a year after elaborate rituals. Now you and I are invited into the Holy of Holies 24-7. We are invited to draw near. And that's why he says, why would you neglect meeting together? If we get to do that, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. What this shows us church is that Jesus is the way to God, not just in salvation, but in worship. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our high priest. We come to God through Christ. Jesus in this way is our worship leader. Jesus is the one who brings us into the presence of God. As a worship leader, I've often heard people say, you know, as a worship leader, you lead us into the presence of God. And what I like to say is, y'all, I'm just a guy with a guitar and skinny jeans. Like I ain't leading you anywhere. <laughs> Jesus leads you into the presence of God. I'm here to tell you about him. I'm here so that we can sing praises to him and let him lead you into the presence of God. Jesus is our worship leader. So we sing with an understanding of scripture and an understanding of the gospel. But next we sing with passion. Ephesians 5.19 says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Church, there's a heart component to this. I just got done telling you that passion is not enough. Let's balance that out a little bit. Now I'm going to tell you that truth is not enough. In and of itself, truth is not enough for biblical worship. It is quite possible to pass the theology exam and have a heart that is far from God. Mark chapter seven puts it this way. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, they're saying all the right things, but their heart is far from me. Think about the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter three, where Jesus says to them, you've got your doctrine right but you've abandoned your first love. This is the tension. As we worship the Lord, our minds must be filled with the truth of God's word, but that truth needs to make its way down to our hearts and lead to a passionate response. Because here's the deal. Singing songs that are biblical with no passion in our hearts often leads to worship that is done out of a sense of duty or obligation. When we come to church to check some spiritual box because that's what good Christians do. When in reality, church, it is our duty to enjoy God. It is our duty to delight in God. As John Piper famously put it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied 
in him. And Piper illustrated it this way with a hypothetical story that I think is really helpful. So uh, my anniversary is coming up next month. And let's say that uh, it's our anniversary and I show up at our door and I go knock on the door. Megan answers the door. She goes, first of all, like, Nate, why are you knocking on the door? It's our house. And I have a bouquet of flowers. I'm like, happy anniversary, babe. The babysitter's on the way. We're going out to dinner tonight at your favorite restaurant. And let's say that she goes, oh, Nate, that's so awesome. But why'd you do it? And then I stand there straight face and I go, because I'm your husband and this is my duty. I read in a marriage book one time that I'm supposed to take you out for our anniversary. So here I am. Let's go. But there's a game on tonight. So let's try not to stay too long. Um, would she be honored by that? Why? I was doing the right thing. Like I read in the marriage book, you take your wife out for your anniversary. Like it's what you do. All right, let's try again. Opens the door. Again, Nate, why are you knocking? Uh, and then, uh, oh, happy anniversary, bouquet of flowers, uh, babysitter on the way, we're going to your favorite restaurant. Nate, why'd you do it? Because I love you. Because you are my wife. And because there is nothing in this world that would bring me more joy than spending time with you. Now, this isn't a marriage sermon, but fellas, that's a better answer. Um, but here's the point. When we come to church to worship God, do we come with the mentality of, this is my duty, I'm a Christian, good Christians go to church, the Bible tells me so, so here I am, God, be impressed with me. Or do we come to church and say, God, I love you, you have saved me, you are my God, and there is nothing in this world that brings me more joy than spending time in your presence. Nothing in this world that brings me more joy than spending time with your people in your presence worshiping you. Guys, worship ought to bring us great joy. I dare say it even ought to be fun. It's okay to smile. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yes, we worship God with an understanding of who he is grounded in his word, but we also worship God with love and joy and passion in our hearts. So we worship with understanding, we worship with passion, but we worship finally with gratitude. Gratitude. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We worship with a thankful heart. And I believe that singing is one of the best ways to express that thankfulness. Psalm 100 verse four says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. We sing to give thanks to God and to bless his name. And when do we do it? Giving thanks when? Always. And for what? Just the good stuff? And for everything, no matter the circumstances in our life, giving thanks always and for everything. What this means is that we can have this perspective of gratitude toward the Lord for who he is and for what he's done, even in a trial, even in a difficulty, even in the difficult seasons of life, we can say, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're faithful to your word. I thank you that your word says that you work all things together for good. And so I'm choosing to trust you and to give thanks to you, even in this. But also, last observation here. I, lo I love the Trinitarian rhythm of this text. The whole Godhead is engaged in our worship. So notice this. In Ephesians 5.18, we worship because we're filled with the Spirit. We give thanks to who? To the Father. How? 
and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship the Father through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. We worship the Father through the Son, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you two takeaways this morning. Singing is powerful. I hope I've convinced you of that in this sermon, if not anything else, that singing is powerful. God has ordained that music be a powerful influence over our lives and over our emotions. There's nothing that has such a direct route to our emotions than music. I mean, think about it. When you hear a Christmas song, for, I don't know about you, but for me, nostalgia just hits me like a ton of bricks. And I'm back around the Christmas tree as a little kid. Like we hear music and it brings us back. You hear a song, you have a song with your spouse for that reason. Certain songs that you hear that take you back. Music is powerful. And listen, God wants to leverage that for the good of the gospel and for his glory. I dare say that God uses music evangelistically. I have heard testimonies at Coastal Church I've heard a story of a person who it was the gospel being sung in a song that led them to Christ. There's also the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a preacher in the 20th century in England. He tells a story. He's a pastor at Westminster Chapel. He tells a story of a man who was on the way to the Thames River. I said that wrong in the first service. Thank you, Rob, for helping me out. Uh, the Thames River. Uh, he was on the way there, filled with despair, about to take his own life. But while he was on his way, he passed by a church and the windows were open and he didn't hear a sermon. Guess what he heard when he walked by this church? He heard the singing. And it was through hearing the praises of God sung by the people of God that it gave him hope. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. He didn't take his own life and he became a member of that church. Guys, singing is powerful. And let me give you just a few ways that it's powerful in our lives. First of all, singing calms the anxious heart. Singing calms the anxious heart. It is often music that the Lord uses to bring peace to our souls. Think about King Saul in the Old Testament. How did David calm him down? With the harp. In my own life, back in 2019, I was going through a really difficult season where I was crippled with anxiety over a lot of situations. And you know what God used to ground me and to give me peace was music. In particular, it was the song, I Will Wait For You, which is Psalm 130, put to music by Keith and Kristen Getty. God used that song to be a lighthouse for my soul. I listened to that song on repeat during that season of my life. God often uses his words set to music to bring peace, but he also uses it to teach the truth in a memorable way. You will remember songs better than you will remember sermons. I guarantee it. If I asked you, what did I preach on four weeks ago? Uh, it won't hurt my feelings, but you'll probably be like, uh. but if I started singing a song that we sang four weeks ago, you'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I love that song. It teaches the truth in memorable ways. If I'm walking around Walmart and I go up to a stranger and say, excuse me, could you please articulate the doctrine of the incarnation? They're going to be like, oh, the doctrine of the what? But if I started singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, they would sing along. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You see what I'm talking about here? Music teaches us things that we wouldn't learn any other way. That's why my three-year-old Hannah, if I'm like, Hannah, what's the gospel? She'll be like, I don't know, daddy. But if I said, sing Jesus loves me, she knows every word. 
God uses music to teach us the truth in powerful ways. Leverage that. Scripture is used by God to bring about salvation in Scripture. Think about Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah who sang praise on the way to battle. And what they find when they got there? <laughs> the battle was over. Like it's already won. Think about Paul and Silas. What did they do when they were in jail in the book of Acts? They started singing and the chains fell off and they walk out free. Now, you might not be facing a foreign army and you might not be in jail, but I can tell you that whatever circumstances you're facing, you can choose to praise God and watch what he does. You can choose to sing what we sang this morning, that Lord, I'm in a battle right now, but it belongs to you. And I'm choosing to trust you. You can choose to praise God, whatever your circumstances, and watch what God does. Final takeaway this morning with this, I'm going to invite up our worship team. And while they're coming up, let me take an opportunity now just to brag on these people. Guys, I've mentioned that I've been involved at worship at Coastal since 2014. And I had the privilege of being the worship leader at this campus from 2018 to 2021. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that the volunteers that we have on our worship team at Coastal are some of the godliest, most talented, most wonderful people that I know. I am so thankful for our worship team. You guys know they get here every Thursday evening to rehearse. They give up one night a week. They get here at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning on Sundays. And they're here till like 12.30 in the afternoon. And that doesn't count all the hours of practice that they put in on their own during the week. And why do they do that? They do that because they love you and because they love the Lord. And they're using the gifts that God has given them in order to serve us in order to lead us to worship the Lord together. I'm so thankful for our worship team. And let me tell you, if you're out there and you've got a musical ability, listen, we have, would love to add you to our team. You can write that on the connect card. We do auditions. So we'd love for you to serve with the worship team. But listen, here's the deal. The best way that we can honor their sacrifice and their hard work is by showing up early, showing up early, not missing the first song. They work hard on the first song. Showing up early and singing loud, okay? Showing up early and singing loud. So guys, it is my hope that we will prioritize singing in work, corporate worship, that it's not an appetizer for the sermon, but it's an essential component of our discipleship. Dads, lead your families in this. I know guys don't like to sing. You should. Like come in, be excited, sing loud. I don't care if you sound bad. Sing loud. Model that for your family prioritize singing and corporate worship and watch how God uses that in your life. So let me encourage you this Thanksgiving season to sing as an expression of thankfulness to the God who has made us, the God who has saved us, and the God who has given us a purpose to live for his glory. Amen. All right, well, let's close in prayer and then go out singing praise to our great God this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are, for all that you've done. God, we thank you for the great gift of music that you've given to us. And Father, I pray that you would inspire our hearts to sing like never before. Lord, to bless you with all of our hearts and all of our souls. God, we love you. We just want to spend time with you in worship. So God, bless us as we go. Strengthen our hearts. Help us to live lives marked by gratitude for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.